in general. You just happen to be in in the right place at the right time. You just have to know the right people, and then with enough luck, and then hopefully you have done a good you know track record in your past career. That will just lead to this position. Welcome to the What Is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience, so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, everyone. On this episode, we have JJ Moy. He is the design partner at Prime Movers Lab. He's also the creative director there. Prime Movers Lab is a venture fund, and uh, JJ is a design partner there. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Good, good. It's nice to have a fellow Thai person here in in the show. It's very rare to meet Thai designers, so every time I I meet, it's like like finding gold. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you have one of the most rarest design positions in the world. From what I understand, there's like what maybe less than 20 design partners in all of the VC firms in the world. Is that correct? I think there's like yeah. Last time I counted, it's like about that because the total number of VCs alone is like you know globally it's like about three three thousand companies. And if you think about that, like each VC firms only have like 10 to 20 personnel. So yeah, I think 20 is about, seems right. Yeah, yeah. So this is even more rare and harder to have and harder to get in. So it's quite an amazing accomplishment. So tell us about your role and, and what you do. Yeah, so I'm on the operations side where, you know, usually I spend my time splitting between half and half between internal supporting whatever branding or like initiative we are doing with the marketing. And then with the founders externally, sometimes I will join in a due diligence call if the companies happen to have a design component to that. So, you know, I can review and do diligence on that and talk about all the problems that I foresee it could be a problem. And then, so that's like more or less the, the sourcing side. And then once a deal is done, I continue on to support them with whatever design needs they would need because the founders we work with mostly really scientists, like almost like mad scientists where they only care about one thing. This is the tech they're working on. And then design usually is the last thing they have in mind. But then in the, in the market this in this time of the world, it's really important because it creates so much value. It's, probably easier, very easy to say that's like the most important thing um, that you can go to use and be the market. So I just like, you know, help them grow and plant these seeds into like, what are the value of like design, how to integrate, you know, design into their tech world. Yeah. I mean, in many ways that that is all of Apple's value proposition. They very rarely invent new technology. They wait Right. And see technology and then they improve upon it with design and then, and then they market the crap out of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you help mad scientists really productize their technology and bring it to market. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you, do you also then help them recruit and build their design team or how does that work? So because most of the companies we work with are still in at an early stage, 
So I kind of like act as the interim designer for them. You know, if they have like a branding project, like packaging design or some UI, I'll just like jump in and help until the scope is like too large for me to handle myself. Then I have like a small army of designers and freelancers I work with. And then, you know, I'm kind of also, again, be kind of the interim creative director for them. And then, you know, help them go through the process of the projects. And then if they eventually decide to hire a first designer, then I will go in and help assessing the designer candidates or help even help them you know, writing the job description too. Yeah, great, great. What are some of the most fun projects or innovative products that you've helped bring to market? Wow, so so many projects on that. <laughs> so, so first off, I want to say like I'm so privileged to to be able to work on this, you know, really high deep tech stuff. I think one of the projects that I'm currently work with. I mean, there's so many things that I cannot talk about. Um, <laughs> so I have to really you know, think about which one is like, has like released some, you know, already news to the public. So I will, okay. One example is Unlimited Tomorrow. Okay. Um, they making prosthetic arms, you know, for uh, people with disabilities. And the mission is great. You know, the, the founder, Easton, he's like also a great person. And I'm so moved and touched by every aspect of the, the project. So I'm helping them with creating the packaging and, you know, the first time experience of using it. That will match the experience of like the, the end product too. Because the arms, the limbs itself like, is so amazing where it's like, it feels almost like a uh, real arm. The weight is right. The skin color is like looks almost realistic to the point that um, the fingers and nails are almost like like your own arm, right? Wow. So, so we want to match all the design and experience around that to to match that quality too. What what does that cost in terms of just? So normally it's about you know it could go anywhere from like thirty thousand to sixty thousand to start. Unlimited tomorrow can bring the cost down to like five thousand or six thousand. Oh wow! So that's like you know a fraction of what's the market price out there, and then they are aiming to to just like deploy this like everywhere. So yeah, you can watch out Amazing. for. So for unlimited tomorrow, so you worked on the the packaging and almost like the unboxing experience. Would you say? Yep. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is there any kind of a digital component to this as well? They have a very basic app to scan your body and so that they can, you know, kind of measure the size, the dimension so that it fits perfectly, but it's, it's functional. So I think there's like not much priority on to, to improve that, but I imagine if, you know, this caught on with the market and they would for sure improve the app and then I'm going to jump in and help with the UX and the UI and all the package too. Got it. Let's see another interesting project on the website, Archer. Uh-huh. It's pretty, pretty cool. Can you talk about that? So, you know, autonomous vehicles, airplanes in this, in this case is like electric too. It's like everywhere. That's like a ton, you know, in the market right now. And then so a different angle or perspective we, we look for the brand is that, you know, we maybe we don't go the super high tech route but more like the experience of like really flying it, right? So with the 
recent launch on the other news outlet everywhere. I always work with them in hiring an external agency to come up with like this vision of what would it be to feel like if you can fly to like exotic places like a desert or, or you know, in somewhere far away like an island. Mm-hmm. And then it looks very refreshing, you know, and, and feels new and it's like unlike any other um, competitors out there in the market too. For some designers, this feels like the, the dream job, working on new products and exciting products, really innovative products. How does one even try to get you know, into to this position, given how competitive it is? Yeah, I think it's not only about you know, the role of like the design I'm working at, but I think it's just like in the, any role in, the, in VC in general. You just happen to be in, in the right place at the right time. You just have to know the right people. And then with enough luck, and then hopefully you have done a good you know, track record in your past career, that will just lead to these positions, you know, because even for non-design, you know, roles, you just cannot just knock on the door and say, hey, I want to work with you, I want to work for you. And even like, just like hire me for free, like, it, it doesn't work that way. You're always going to be pulled from someone into Right. It's not a push. It's more of a pull. Yeah. And so you have to network your way in you want to work in this industry. And then so another way I see um, how people usually get into VC is that you build a long, you know, and good reputation along the way. And then once you get to, you know, to the point that you are a advisor for, you know, startups, and then you get your name out there and then the same thing will happen to you. And then people will like just tell you and then, hey, do you want to invest in us? And then, hey, I know that VC, maybe they can use some, um, new partners and your expertise. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, building a reputation and getting a good track record, that's a great lead into my next uh, question. Tell us a little bit about your background design before you got into this position and what were you doing before this? And, well, and first, and maybe even way back is how you got into design in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, so back, way back in, in high school, I started out as a graffiti artist so I just like paint around, find, you know, abandoned bridges. I like bridges. This is in because, Bangkok or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I moved around a lot, you know, I, but I grew up mostly in Bangkok and then got into that. And then I studied uh, industrial design in my undergrad, majored in furniture design. And so I did that for a while. And then, but my dream project back then, even back then, I actually also studied architecture for a semester or two. And then... My dream project was always big, really large scale stuff like a museum, a space station, satellites. You know, I want to design stuff like that. Like even like a, a Death Star in... in you, know. <laughs> you want to say... Yeah, really I, designed, I want to design the whole planet, right? Basically. <laughs> but soon enough, you know, reality hit me that it's not going to happen, right? How many designers or architects you need to design a, a space station? Only one or two, right? So it's like even like a more cutting edge, you know, competitive um, role. So anyhow, I kept on working on furniture and ceramics for a while. And then I got my hands on to work on the, one of the earliest wearable tech, which Which is like at at Philips back then. It's if you are old enough and remember that was a dark time back then when (laughs) they trying to fuse fashion design with tech 
where you see like jackets with like boom boxes on it, you know, speakers and LCDs. It's like a stupid time, but yeah, how do you was, even like, wash that and stuff? So impractical. <laughs> I know, right? But that was, you know, what pathway to what we have now for all the watches and whatnot. So because of that, I, you know, transitioned to work on more digital and you know electronic equipments stuff, and then UX started to boom. From that point, I just worked on more like apps and all that because, like you know, iPhone um, started to take off too. Okay. Well, you you said you wanted to design satellites and and even the Death Star. I know one of the Prime Movers Lab projects is a Momentus. Yeah. So, so that did is you have kind of a, like so you kind of did. Uh, did you were you involved in that? Yeah. So that is like the kind of one of the closest project I you know I have my hands on and. Once that is launched, you know, and fully deployed, I can say to myself that, oh man, like my work is now in space. Like, so yeah, I'm, I, and again, I just like I, I remind myself like every day that I'm so fortunate to like be able to like work on this stuff. Like being in this perfect intersection for me because you know this is like the because most of the investment we work with mostly hardware. And then because I have both hardware and software experience, right? So this is like the perfect for me. And then I can choose the fun problems to work on. You know, if it's like a fun design exercise, I'm you know, more than happy to jump in and I fully immerse in it and just work on it. But if it's more tedious and maintenance work, I would just say, hey, you guys figure it out. I'm pretty tight yeah. <laughs> this week. Well, what I just got out of that little nugget too for designers who want to get into this field too, right? Like, because this fund was is mostly a hardware fund, right? They needed not just any designer, but the, a designer who had hardware and software experience. And so, and you're one of the perfect guys for this. So, you you know, in as much as you want them, I think they they also found a perfect fit. Yeah, you. like right again, and I think to be a great designer right i it's very important to explore around to add color to your you know skill set right i didn't set out to know all of this stuff i just happened to work on them and then so like again like it's just like a kind of like a right place right time for me to be able to work on this stuff yeah so you're also open, involved in OpenGov. can you tell us a little bit about OpenGov and your role there yeah so yeah. I jumped around between the public and private sectors, you know, quite all the time, because, I mean, deep inside, I think I like to serve people, serve the world, do any things that really matters and impact. So I tried out, you know, the government for a bit. I would say designing the Death Star is, is quite impactful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before, actually, before OpenGov, it. OpenGov started out from another nonprofit called California Common Sense, where essentially it's the same product, but it just target to different users. And then so we see we saw an opportunity to change, you know, make a profit of that, and then by just like changing the market, and then you know just like sell them to like local governments. So uh, work on that is like a budgeting transparency software program and that government officials can use that to do their budgeting and then show their annual plan and, and budget to the citizens. And then anyone can go in and just dig into the data 
to the point that if you are curious about how much the firefighters spend this year on boots, you can know that. Mm. And then it creates this a new window into like, in, you know, everyone, you don't need to be a researcher or journalist to be able to do that, right? It's like easy to use. And then if you are engaged citizen and you're curious about how your city is performing, you can go do that. If you see something's wrong, if something's off, you can just like voice that out, right? Like, hey, why do we spend 40,000 on boots this year? Someone will have to come out and answer that. And then so I worked on the early versions of it. Now it's deployed across the country and the, the very first or second you know, branding is still there. They touched it up a little bit since I left, but I'm still feel very happy. So every time I saw the news that a new city is picking it up and it's still, you know, following a lot of my design principle that, that I set up back then. Oh, thank you for that. So, hey, I, I see in your experience that you're an innovation specialist at 18F. And so I, I worked in innovation as well at Accenture Labs. So, you know, from a corporate consulting innovation side, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah, yeah. I imagine it would be, you know, very similar to your experience. It's 18F is a design agency within the U.S. federal government where we are trying to make a startup model where we just pull people from everywhere who you know have a public servant mind, right? And then so it's a centralized agency, a sister agency to USDS, which is could be more you know more familiar with that name, which is also under the direct um, authority of like white the White House. So, and then we work on a bunch of stuff from we work with like the voting system back, you know, in, in the, when the administration changed four years ago, I personally worked on the design system, which is, I think officially is called the US, I don't know, US design system, I guess. Really? USW. I'm look it up right now. <laughs> US web. The US, United States web design system. Yeah. We're going to pull US that up. Web. Yeah, United States Web Design System. In really involved in that project. Now it's been used by all the other federal government agencies. So I think this is like one of the largest scale um, design system out there. That's, that's so amazing. First of all, I didn't even know the US had a design system and had a design system website similar to a lot of the enterprises. So yeah. I just learned something new. This is really cool. And to see its application uh, on NASA, vote.gov, America's Seed Fund. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah, we, you know, my, my firm has worked on a few design systems as well through our relationship with uh, Adobe. But it's good to see some commonalities here. And, and also to see that the even the U.S. government is taking design seriously enough and usability to, to create a design system and component. Do you want to talk to me more about that? And now that you're, you've opened the, my curiosity, like, yeah. Yeah. How, how, yeah. Yeah. So one of the jokes I usually tell to, to colleagues, like back when I work on that stuff is that how do we measure our impact to the world? Right. And then, so as a designer, one of the most obvious way is to 
uh, think about the ratio of like the pixels you make, and then and then how many people will will see that pixels. So if you think about like maybe a hundred million people will see that website each day, that means I impact times the pixels I make that day. Probably like, you know I don't know ten thousand pixels. Well, it's a trillion. I don't know what unit, but that's like uh, it's a fun way for me to to you know measure my my impact to the world. I want to leave something that's you know useful for the world, right? And then because the bar in the government world is so low, you know, in design work. Anything you do, you do is gonna be tremendously better and more useful than you know what's out there. So there was a time when I was outside before I go cross the line to the government world. When you go to the DMV, for, for example, right, you see people are slow and you know not really willing to help and all that. But once I got into working with them, the only thing I see is that they are brilliant people and they want to help, but all the laws and regulations and softwares and all this legacy stuff is stopping them from doing their the job. There was a time when there is a rule that you have to follow that you can only serve five customers mm. or five citizens an, an hour, which is ridiculous. So when you see people just like walk around doing nothing because they cannot do work, right? You, you cannot do OT. You cannot you know do any work after work uh, time at all. You cannot even check your emails. So that is like. What you know, kind of like one of the things that I think Netflix set out to do, like how can we improve the products and services so that the people of the government can make better decisions and work. Yeah. So tell us about the how you created the design system and how was it informed. It's a huge, huge project. When I was involved, there was already twenty to thirty people on the project. We went out to do a lot of user research with like all stakeholders who would do use this, and then break it down into like maybe almost 10 personas, from designers to developers to managers to even you know outsourced contractors, and then we brought a lot of like knowledge from existing services and products out there, and then in, just to use it inform us and then come up with a. Initial version of it, and then just like through you know rapid iterations, rounds and rounds of, of that, and then and it's still improving day by day. You know, it's been going strong for the past you know several years, and then they are still adding more stuff to it and you know keep improving them. Yeah, thank you. I didn't realize you you were part of this and this you know went from designing for VC you know at design partner to design systems to for the government is quite a segue but it's really interesting and cool and another commonality. Yeah, I think that is part of like you know where um, here to where I'm at today. I think at some point you know you're gonna hit. The plateau, and then you cannot just be bet. You cannot just keep working on yourself to be better at you know design forever, right? N- getting to maybe eighty percent or ninety percent there is probably plenty good enough. Then you need to go outside of your zone and explore other stuff, right? whether it's coding, so that you can be a unicorn designer, right? You can do do full stack stuff, or you just like go out and work in. Different industries, right? So 
with my very super broad experience, right? Like in energy, in in government, and then in now you know more like deep tech. It's almost like I cover most of the bases already. Yeah, yeah. Right? You so, cover air. You got space. You yeah, got government. <laughs> it's a little nuts. Yeah, so the only thing left me is maybe like water and then you know, yeah, deep, deep, deep water, deep water. Yeah, yeah. And then the next job for me, you know, would be much easier for me to find because like I I just happen to know and have a lot of domain knowledge, which is mostly should be transferable. Yeah, are there you know having worked with a lot of startups, especially early stage, and then also even for something as what people would imagine very bureaucratic uh, as the U.S. government, what are some good design principles that you've come up with, and what are you know some of the things that you try to impart with these the companies that you work with and, and try to look for? It's very simple for me. It's just like user first. I mean, that's like kind of like using Russell in a given, but it's very easy, also easy to get it sometimes because business requirements we can come and interfere with that. You know, stakeholders will, with like loud voices will you know take over. So you know, I just always kind of like be the advocate for users and fight for the best. I would pick the battles. You know. If it's something that I strongly believe in, I'll just like fight to the death for the users. Mm -hmm. And then, other than that, you know, the, the usability will just like naturally come. Uh, follows that the consistency, yeah, it will come eventually. But it's like not the first things uh, I set out to do. For I was also study and prepare to be a priest, a Catholic priest. Oh wow, those are related, but yeah. totally. Yeah. So, what so made you like, want to? Well, so Thai, a, Thai culture, I think, yeah, it's quite common to be a monk. Yeah, for sons I, and yeah. I mean, I grew up as like with both religions because like my mom is Buddhist, my dad was um, Catholic, and then so I studied at a Catholic school, and then but because it's still in Thailand, so you know I got to be experience a lot of like the Buddhist side. So that is like you know one of the fun facts I kind of like tell people when if they you know really want to hear about like hey what's your you know most interesting stories about and then but I don't know if that's like too much a segue from what we <laughs> yeah. talk about but but it is interesting so you were a monk right to be clear you you yes. were a Thai monk for yes. how long eight months you know that's a long time yeah a lot of people do it for almost like, it's almost like a vacation. They do it yeah, for two weeks. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm a monk for two no, weeks. So like, uh, no, that, yeah. I, I don't call that a monk. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the how I would, you know, tie that back into my career as a designer is that in the similar way, I explore different industries, right? I just dis also explore different ways of living. You know, yeah, each thing I do, it kind of like adds a color to my Knowledge and my being, my personality, so that you know, it comes out to be like a great. I have just so many great inputs that I can you know output a lot of like different ways of like you know creativity and all that stuff. Yeah. What about the priesthood? Were you only considering it, or did you? So take I was serious about it. I was you know almost ready to be you know devoted and and, and go to to a church. And but then I was told by my mentor back then that you just 
I think, okay, so this is a perfect analogy to like, you know, if you can do a flashback, whatever, um, you cannot just knock on the church or heaven's door that, hey, I want to be a priest. It's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you have to be given a sign, an omen to allow you to do that. And was, I was like, I was young, right? And I, was, I, I didn't understand that. So I go around and I went around and asked people, asked like the priests and the, the nuns, what were your signs? Like, did you really had a sign? Then they, they all say, yeah. Like, yeah, the sculpture of Jesus, like, wink to me. Another person, another priest said, like, yeah, the skies opened for me. I, I saw, like, a ray of light from, from heaven. I was like, really? Okay, so I just, like, look everywhere, right, trying to, to look for my signs. I didn't see anything. I was like kind of almost like to a desperate point. And yeah, I just had to move on because I didn't, you know, haven't got the sign. But then years later, when I'm, you know, I, I stopped thinking about that anymore, I finally saw a sign. I was in a church, just like, you know, do my prayers like as usual. I don't go to church often, by the way. And then inside the church with a closed ceiling, right? But I saw a ray of light out from the skies. Uh, you know, it's a painting of like clouds and cupids on the, on the ceiling. And it's like sh shining on a, I don't know, an author or whatever like that was. And, and that's it. I took that as a sign that, yeah, I wasn't ready or I wasn't, it wasn't the right path for me. It, you know, I would be able to do more good as in the, you know, common world I, I don't know what's yeah yeah well you certainly have especially with things like open gov and and some of these initial you know ventures some of the big things they're doing it's been a very interesting like one of the most interesting interviews i thought i was going to talk to you about designing for startups and you know working in vc but then we took a turn with government and now it's like religion fun facts so Fun fact about me is even though I'm Thai, I've never been a monk. You know, it's funny because most parents want their Thai kids to be a monk and it's, it's sort of like the, the tambu and be good and do good in the world and good karma and you'll have good karma. My, my parents were never like that. They're like, oh, if you become a monk, you won't make money during that time. It's not, <laughs> don't stop making money. <laughs> my parents are very practical that way. <laughs> And then my, my fun fact that when people ask, you know, the, the fact that people consistently say you should lead with that is that the, I used to do the moves, martial arts moves for the Mortal Kombat video games. Yeah, I saw that last week on your Facebook, Facebook feed. That was cool. Yeah, that was, a, that was part of, you know, video game history. It was cool. You know, it's really funny looking back because my involvement is really minuscule. You know, they, it's not like a full-time job. People are like, oh, how was it? Blah, blah, blah. And it's, they call you in for a few days, you do the moves and then you get out. <laughs> That's it. You know, cause it's, yeah. you know, motion capture is, it's not a hugely involved process from the talent. They, they have a list, they have stuff you, they want you to act out, but it's very, I would say transactional, mm -hmm. you know, they can get consultants or, or the talent to to actors to kind of come in do the job get out but, but the video game programmers the animators everything those are like the full-time jobs because you can't stop that whereas this is like you know we have a move list we have the scenes and the trailers we want to do 
we act it out, we do the fights, and then that's it. They pay you, go away. <laughs> yeah, but you do but that a couple times, you know. Did that lead you somewhere else? Well, the martial arts led me to a lot of things. So, like, the real thing is the martial arts. So, like, in my background is uh, martial arts, a serious competitive martial arts, not MMA, but more Chinese, less sparring, more forms. So, okay. I, I didn't like, I didn't like contact. I don't like hitting people, and I also don't like getting hit. <laughs> but I appreciate the the skill and the artistry. So I was more artist than martial in that sense. Mm. Like you, I probably grew up watching too many Jackie Chan and Jet Li movies mm -hmm. on, you know, in in Thai TV, like dubbed in Thai, and and watch kung fu films and kung fu serials, and uh, yeah, that's what I grew up in and and wanting to do. So when I had the opportunity to do that, I did it and pursued it for many years. And then you know, I think how that has colored my career and life is that. The, the discipline has taught me to practice things and to appreciate that to be good at something, it takes years. Like a lot of people are very impatient, right? They do something and they get frustrated. They quit because they don't immediately have success. For me, like, oh, like even this podcast. So now we're, you know, I don't know, we're 10 plus episodes in. And every time I watch or listen to it, it's like, oh man, I suck at this. But then I remind myself, so how many times have I done this? Yeah, you know, when I used to teach martial arts, it was the same. When you know, we I teach class and people get frustrated, so they're like punch or kick, and they can't do that technique. And I'm like, I will always ask, like, how many times have you done this? You know, did, if you've done it a thousand times and you still suck, then we have a problem. But if you only just if <laughs> yeah. this is week three, three months in, a year in, yes, you're gonna suck, and it's okay. But you keep practicing. And it's going to get better over time. Right. So, yeah. I'd love to hear more about the VC firm and how they interact with the founders and then how you get involved. How does your experience and involvement with, with the founders and the company itself? Yeah. And what does a day in your life look like? Yeah. Because like most, if not all companies we work with are, you know, we're scientific. And then so the science is there. We just have to assess the risk and de-risk it. Once the, the science is, we, we say it's good to go, right? Then we just like work on the founders. Are they good people? Essentially, you know, we don't want to work with like, you know, the wrong guys. And then, so for, for example, I can give you a, a, a little story here. So last week we talked to a company where we assess the tech, it's good to go. We see like a market of like maybe billions if this they take is done. That's it. Like no problem. But the founders like are not really coachable. You know, he's like mm. arrogant. It's like really, you know, not not charismatic. I mean, to say the least. So despite the financial, you know, gain we could get, we decide to pass off that because like we don't think this is like you know we can do in the long term because like. As opposed to VCs that work in more in software industry, we have to you know look more into the long game, because hardware is hard, and then it takes some time. So we are not here in, in for like the, the short profit, and then the money you know the checks that we write them is usually the least valuable thing to them. Our support and network of advisors that we can provide is like far 
valuable than you know any other VCs in in the same industry in deep tech, because we really have scientists on 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 our team, and we keep adding them. You know, just last in the last couple of months, we tripled the science team. Now we almost have ten scientists, all with advanced degrees and PhDs and all that. On the team, and we ask like all these like really hard technical questions, and then the founders we really appreciate it, right? Like, wow, like this is kind of like the first time any VC or anyone ask them, is this science real? Is this tech really doable? And so, in the same way, you know, I would go in and ask like these like UX related questions. Hey, let's assume that the tech works. Have you really ever thought about the users? How would they use this? You know, is this is the user needs real? How did you go about and validate it? You know, what's your testing plan and all that? Most of the time, you know, sure enough, there's like I don't know, you know, I haven't <laughs> thought that far. Sure, I mean, yeah. good, but this is where I go in and help. You know, to identify where the problems are, and then just by planting that. See, you know that okay. There, this is like a issue that you should look at. As a CEO, is 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 their work to go out and figure that out. Once, if they are stuck, and then, you know they can come to me, and I'll just help them out consulting and advising, whatever like that. So that is like kind of my role working with the founder like that, identify the problems, and then what else. I would think if I were to stereotype uh, a lot of deep tech founders, right? Like they're more excited about the technology itself, right? Like technology of Bitcoin, the technology of whatever, some AI, and building that versus an, the application. So I think if I were to think out loud, you I mean the role of a design partner in a VC firm like yours would be even more important. So maybe. There should be more than one, <laughs> because it's so important. And then you'd probably be stretched pretty thin. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, on a given week, I'm probably work juggling between five companies. So as much as I want to work on it, I am. I just I don't. I only have two hands. Um, yeah. I can only do so much. But so do you just work with a, a research firm, for example, and tell them, hey, go to this user research firm and try to see? Yeah, know. pretty much, and then. Because I was, I mean, I'm also a design coach, so I you know coach a lot of like aspiring design students. You know, I have this small army of like students that will will be ready to work under my kind of supervision. And then once I see, you know, there's a real need for these companies to have, hey, you need to hire a head of design right now. If I know someone, I'll just like, hey, you should talk to this one. Maybe you should start a design team in the next quarter. So I, you know, kind of like work on those kind of strategy level too. Yeah, thank you for that. This was a really good interview. I learned a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Are you still mentoring at TechStars? So I first joined as a TechStar mentor on a startup weekend. Or weekend startup. I don't remember the name exactly. Yeah, startup weekend. Yeah. And then it was fun, you know. The people, the teams are really, you know, energetic. They want to do a lot of stuff, so that was fun. Fun, and then I got into this roster where the company or the teams that become a company. I don't know how it really works. Once they get into like that accelerator, 
they will just like reach out to me if their um, topic or their product, you know, is relevant to my expertise. I got to work with like super young people too, like, you know, young founders, like some are just like, you know, just started out in high school. There was a team where they work on a fire distinguisher system where you can just like DIY it at home. You know, they would just like mail you a kit. So it's like really low cost, easy to produce, and it's really effective too. And it's going to be like once in a while when you find some, you know, so bright gems like that, it's like just make you happy. And, you know, you're just like, these days I just like advising companies for fun. It's like anything that can um, amplify my, my impact to the world. I'm just like all for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. This was, uh, again, amazingly in-depth interview that went into so many little trees. So I, I was going in expecting one thing and I was pleasantly delighted to touch on things like design systems, work for the government, religion. <laughs> so everything, I, I feel like I, I got a variety in, in this one show. So th- thank you, JJ, for taking us. Yeah. Is there yeah, anything you want the audience to check out in terms of products that are out in the market, you know, from some of the companies that you work with? I mean, if you are a designer that want to work on, you know, this cutting edge stuff, switch out to me. I can probably, you know, because I, I, I look at deals and companies like almost a uh, hundred companies a week easily. I should probably know a place that aligns with your values, where you want the projects you want to work on. Yeah. And then if, you know, if you are a more technical person, if you have like amazing tech, also reach out, you know, we are happy to take a look. Yeah, this was probably one of the most valuable segments of the show to just be able to reach out to you. So if you're looking for design opportunities and innovation, yeah, I strongly encourage people to do that. So JJ, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Uh, It was a really fun experience and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks again for like having me here. It's like, this is like a wonderful experience for me as well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guests and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.